We don't deserve anything from God. Nothing ultimately than judgment for sin. But the Father delights in showing lavish generosity. That's just who He is. He shows His redeemed people incredible generosity as we walk with Him day by day. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and we're continuing a message we began last time, taking a look at the generous God. And Jonathan, as you began to uh, talk about last time, God owes us nothing. Everything we have, um, you know, is his generosity. But for the person who says, man, my life is so messy, it's hard, it's difficult, it feels like my life is one of one loss after another, I I don't really see the generosity of God in my life. Where do we begin to look for his generosity? Well, I think there are two directions in which to look, and and one is to see his generosity just in his creation and his provision for us in life. You know, I I so often when I'm working at my desk, just look out the window and notice the beauty of the trees and, and the abundance of his creation and think this is a lavishly generous God who has made such a world for us to enjoy. And and if we will but look, I think we see his generosity all around us in what he has given us in creation. But then, of course, we need to go beyond that and study the scriptures, look to the Bible and say, well, what is it that God has given us? Perhaps that we didn't even know we needed, you know, some of the needs that God addresses through the gospel. We're not aware of those needs necessarily on our own, but the Bible teaches us how needy we are of spiritual life, of forgiveness, of escape from judgment. And as we study the scriptures more, we realize how utterly dependent we are upon God for all things and how very, very kind he has been. Well, you mentioned studying the scriptures, so let's do that together here as we continue the message, The Generous God. Here is Jonathan. Generally, the more important and the more powerful a person is, the more of a challenge it is to get direct communication from them, to elicit a message from them. If, if you write to the prime minister or, or a president of a nation, you wouldn't normally expect a personal reply. If you have a problem with your new car and you write to the CEO of Toyota, you probably won't get a handwritten note by return of post. If you have a bad experience on a flight and you write to the boss at Air Canada, don't expect a personal phone call. But you know, the creator God of the universe has gone out of his way to speak to us. He has spoken to us again and again over hundreds and even thousands of years through his prophets to give us the Bible that we have before us. This book is so rich in his self-revelation, his self-disclosure, that there's no way that in a single lifetime we can plumb the depths of its riches. Saints who love the scriptures and have spent a lifetime reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures will tell you that every time they open the Bible, there is more to learn, more to discover, more to ponder, more to enjoy. You know, if you spent a career as a scholar of Shakespeare or Dickens, you would, I think, reach a point where you felt there was not that much more to see in the collected works of that particular author. But no Bible scholar of any integrity would ever make that kind of a claim about the scriptures. And the fact of the matter is that God has been generous, immensely generous in what he has said to us 
in his word. He has given us such detail about his plans and about his requirements. He has given us such insight into his nature. He has laid out for us the way of salvation. He has told us of things yet to come. Added to all that and beyond all that, God has made himself known to us personally through his son. In an act of astounding generosity and astounding grace, the Son of God himself has come down into this world to make himself known and ultimately, of course, to bring redemption. And in Christ and through the scriptures, we have an abundance of knowledge of God himself. In John chapter 15 and verse 15, Jesus says this to his followers. He says, no longer do I call you servants, For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, Peter tells us that in the gospel, we are given knowledge of things so wonderful that even the angels long to look into them. He says this, it was revealed to them, to the prophets of old, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul marvels at the fact that God has lavished upon us the riches of his grace in all wisdom and insight, writes Paul, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. God has been so generous to us in the way in which he has revealed himself to us, in the way in which he has spoken to us, in the way in which he has made known to us his purposes and his plans. As the hymn puts it, familiar to many, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? What more can he say Then to you, he has said, he has been so generous to us. And it is to us to listen to his word, to study his word, to meditate upon his word, to rejoice in his word, and to respond to his word. We've seen God's abundant generosity in creation, in revelation, And now, most significant of all, his abundant generosity in redemption. The Bible makes it clear to us that because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, we have impoverished ourselves terribly. We've put ourselves out in the cold when it comes to our relationship with God and our experience of the blessings of God. And so much of what the New Testament tells us about salvation in Christ, so much of the language and the imagery that is used, it points us to the fact that in saving us, God has been pouring out upon us his lavish, his undeserved generosity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, 
Paul puts this so beautifully. He writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus not only took on flesh, but lived a life of humility in this world, a life of simplicity. He suffered and he died and he endured the shame of the cross. He came down from the splendor of heaven above and he became poor, says Paul. And he did all this that we might become rich, spiritually rich, eternally rich. From time to time, we hear stories, don't we, of children who are born into very difficult circumstances, circumstances of poverty and of deprivation, who are adopted by families with means and who give those children riches and resources and opportunities that they would never have had. And suddenly, with the signing of an adoption paper, an impoverished child is a child of wealth and of privilege. The idea of being adopted by God in Christ is really the dominant idea at the opening of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We, we can't possibly examine all that Paul says there, but I would just love to notice it together, and perhaps you'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Notice these, in these joyful words how God's generosity shines through in what Paul says. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In love, he predestined us for adoption. To himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, down to verse 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. God has taken poor and needy people, people like us, and through the poverty of Jesus Christ at the cross, he has made us rich. Through the shed blood of Jesus, he has offered us not only forgiveness for all the wrong that we have done, but he has offered us a family, a future, a heavenly home, an inheritance. That's Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth and our message, The Generous God, part of our series, Who is Like Our God? We're going to pause here, but we'll get back to the message in just a moment. If you ever miss a program, come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. While you're there, you'll find links to our social media. You can check out our newsletter and our weekly e-devotional. In addition to that, links to our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, simply look for Encounter the Truth, then like and subscribe, and you'll be up to date anytime we put some new content on there. Again, you'll find all of that and more when you visit our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Once again, here's Jonathan. When we think of being rescued, and the gospel is a great rescue operation, we, we would think normally of a very basic service of being taken out of a situation of danger and placed somewhere safe. 
the sailors stranded at sea is lifted in an, in an army or navy helicopter and deposited on dry land. The, the victim of an accident is put in an ambulance and taken to a hospital bed for treatment and recovery before being sent on their way. When the Bible paints for us a picture of our rescue in the gospel, when it sets forth the invitation to take part in that rescue, there is nothing basic or barren or perfunctory about it. The imagery we are given is lavish. The images, the descriptions of what God has in store for his people, they are rich and they are full and they are astoundingly generous. The other morning I was reading Mark's gospel and I just came across these words of Jesus. It was so timely as I was thinking about this message. This is Mark 10 and verse 28. Peter here is concerned that Jesus might just, you know, fail to notice all the sacrifices that he and, and the other disciples have made. And he blurts out a thought that many a disciple probably has had. Mark 10 and verse 28. Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus, this, this has been a little costly for us. We've had to pay a price to be your disciples. We wonder, have you, have you noticed, Jesus, what we've done? Subtext, are we getting shortchanged here, Jesus? And we can wonder that in our faithlessness sometimes, can't we? Verse 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You're not going to miss out, Peter. I, I haven't forgotten your sacrifices. I will care for you. And I will repay you not twofold or threefold or tenfold, a hundredfold. And of course, in the church, we see how the words of Jesus are true. Those who have been rejected by their earthly family for following Jesus, and maybe that's your experience. Those who have had that experience, how generous they have found God to be. A whole new family, a global family in the church. Those who have given up earthly comforts and security in following Jesus, how they have found the hospitality and the care and the support of brothers and sisters in Christ, how they found that that is made up for it and more. And beyond all that for all of us, the promise even of eternal life. God is generous, so generous, even when we, like Peter, fear that he might be stingy. And Jesus, he reinforces this point in his ministry again and again. It's interesting, striking really, to notice how very important the imagery of feast and of banquet is for Jesus in his ministry. A banquet is actually one of the key images of the kingdom for Jesus. You'll remember that Jesus' first miracle in John's gospel took place at a wedding where he turned water to wine to supply the need of the banquet. Jesus illustrates the lavish generosity of the kingdom when he feeds the 5,000 hungry listeners, turning a boy's small lunch into a massive feast for a crowd. Jesus tells a story in Luke 14 about a man who gave a great banquet 
And when the guests didn't show up, the invited guests, he sent his servant out into the highways and the byways to compel people to come in and eat at his table. In Luke 15, in that famous story, when the rebellious, shamed, prodigal son comes home, having abused the kindness of his father, when he runs out of money, having spent it all on reckless living, on partying and all the rest, when he comes home in shame, his father sees him from far off. And we read this, verse 20 of Luke chapter 15. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's eat, let's celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. We don't deserve anything from God, nothing ultimately than judgment for sin, but the Father delights in showing lavish generosity. That's just who he is. And having shown us generosity in welcoming us home, he shows his redeemed people incredible generosity as we walk with him day by day. We so often feel weak, don't we? And we wonder how are we going to get through the challenges before us? Even just the challenge to keep on trusting Jesus and walking with him by faith. But we see God's generosity as he gives us strength by his spirit. In Ephesians 3 and verse 15, Paul prays that God, according to the riches of his glory, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, according to his riches. Verse 20, he is the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. We want just to get by with enough strength and God can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We wonder, will God give us enough strength, enough spiritual power to keep on believing and, and serving and persevering? We wonder, will he give us the strength and the spiritual resources just for the week ahead with all that lies before us? But here's what we know and here's what the scriptures tell us. He is the God of abundant generosity, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. What an idea. What a thought to take away for the days ahead. Maybe that some listening to this don't yet know this God personally, and if you don't know him, I hope you will know him. I hope you will come to know this lavishly generous God. I hope you'll come to know him through Christ, his son, who became poor that you might become rich. If you know him and you're struggling today to trust him with the future, struggling to trust him with your resources, struggling to trust that if you make sacrifices to serve him and obey him, that he might let you down, let me simply remind you from the scriptures who he is. He is the lavishly generous God. And let me encourage you, trust him. Trust him today and trust him for tomorrow. And then as we finish, and we'll close with this, we need to learn from our Heavenly Father. We need to emulate 
our Heavenly Father. We need to be his true children in showing generosity. The Bible's so clear that we who know God, the children of God, we are to be marked by a godly generosity. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul charges believers who have means to be generous. And he grounds this charge in the generosity of God. It's very interesting. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. In 2 Corinthians, when encouraging all believers to be generous in giving, Paul again grounds the discussion in God's generosity to us. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Friends, where do you and I have an opportunity at the present time to be generous? Where perhaps have we failed to be as generous as we could with others? Generous with believers in need. Generous to our family. Generous to those who perhaps do work for us. Fathers, on this Father's Day, how can you be more like your heavenly Father in his astounding generosity? Rejoicing in the goodness of our generous Father above. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we marvel at who you are and what you are like. We marvel at your goodness and your love expressed in such generosity to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who became poor that we might become rich. Make us a grateful people and in turn by your spirit, make us a generous people. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, wrapping up our message today, The Generous God. You know, if you missed any part of this message, then I want to encourage you to come to the website. You can listen to these programs. We're taking a look at God's generosity. You can stream the program or you can download the MP3 for free. Just come to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. Encounter the Truth is listener-supported. It is your generosity that keeps Jonathan's teaching on this station, so thank you for giving to and supporting this ministry. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book Jonathan has picked out. It's called Worthy, Living in Light of the Gospel. And Jonathan, how is reading this book going to benefit us? Well, I hope it's going to impact your heart and your life. I hope it's going to feed your soul. The purpose of this book is simply to encourage us who know Jesus to live faithfully as his people, to allow the gospel to transform our way of life. And I, I just find I need those encouragements. I need those helps. And, and I find it especially helpful if the book is readable and not too long. 
And this book, which is rich in content and thoughtful, it's written by seasoned theologian Sinclair Ferguson, who's always full of rich insight, but he's made it accessible. And it's designed, yes, to feed the mind, but to nourish the soul. And I believe it'll do that for you if you read it, and we'd love to get it to you. Well, a gift of any amount, and we're going to say thank you by sending you a copy of Worthy, Living in Light of the Gospel. You can call, give your gift, and request a copy. Our number is 833-99-TRUTH, or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org. That's 833-998-7884, or EncounterTheTruth.org. You can also write us at Encounter the Truth, 2176 Prince of Wales Drive, Ottawa, Ontario, 2KE0A1. Or in the U.S. at Encounter the Truth, 215 North Arlington Heights Road, number 102, Arlington Heights, Illinois, 60004. Well, thanks for listening today. Do hope you make it a point to tune in next time. Thanks also to our producer, Mark Bretta. For Jonathan, I'm Steve Hiller. Hope you'll tune in next time.